0: Chicago, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. What's up, everyone? My name is Raj Nation, founder and chief pitch artist at Startup Hype Man, where we help startups, scale ups, and grown ups not suck at how they pitch themselves so they stand out to their audience and stand apart from the competition. This podcast is all about bringing you the hearts, the minds, and the stories of leaders in the startup ecosystem talking through the strategies they have deployed in order to build and grow their companies. And it's officially season 17 of the show, and all season long we've got a special treat for you, bringing you guests exclusively from the Startup Hype Man client portfolio, giving you a piece of their journey. Before we begin, if you're not a subscriber yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, and remember you can catch all the episodes from our 17 season archive, and learn how to pitch your startup at startuphypeman.com. All right, get your popcorn ready and get hyped because it's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, Making his way to the microphone from Orlando, Florida and currently residing in San Francisco, California. He is the COO of New Age Meats Please welcome Derek O'Leary.
1: Thank you, Raj. Thank you. Haven't been introduced like that since my uh, highly mediocre high school wrestling uh, career. So that, that was great.
0: <laughs> well, now you've got something new for not only boardroom meetings, but how about this? When you go through like the in and out drive through you can just play that when you pull up. How, how does that sound? <laughs> I love it. it will be like, I get that, but I asked for your order, not your name. <laughs> All right. He is Darren Alemley, COO of New Age Meats. All this season on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are talking to uh, clients from the client for portfolio of Startup Hype Man. We had the honor of working with New Age Meats a little while back on their investor pitch and um, and helping them with their Series A raise. And they were able to do a, they've been able to do a lot over the last few years. First, they raised a $5 million seed. Then they went out and raised a $20 million Series A. And the future is pretty bright for this company. And here's the thing. They've done it all without any revenue so far. Why? Well, because if you learn a little bit more about New Age Meats, which we will today, you'll find out this is a company that involves a lot of research and development to be able to get to market because they are an alternative Meats company being able to provide the taste, the texture, the smell that you love when you eat meat with none of the harm. That's right. They're able to combine animal cells without actually harming the animal with plant proteins and plant products to create alternative guilt-free meat. And we are here today to talk about their journey to this point, specifically landing investors without any revenue. Now, Darren, why is this on your mind? Why is this important to you?
1: Well, you know, my previous startup career was definitely predicated on getting companies to revenue as quickly as possible, but uh, there's so many ideas out there that the world really needs right now for the impact that, that we need for our planet to continue to survive that we're going to take a long time and a lot of capital before they actually get to revenue and are able to make that impact. So I'm just hoping they are out there looking, looking to do just that.
0: Right on. We're going to learn all, more, all about the new age journey and how you've been able to successfully raise capital without having generated that revenue yet. Before we get there, let's learn a little bit more about you, the person. Um, I want to know. You said you, you know, we said in your introduction that you are from Orlando, Florida, originally. I want to know what do you feel about where you grew up. How do you feel that's impacted who you are today as a person?
1: Uh, it's a great question. And I think it's been hugely impactful to how I view the world. Um, you know, I, I, Orlando is probably even, uh, kind of an, kind of, kind of an exaggeration of where I grew up. I actually grew up in a town called Apopka, Florida, which most people have not heard of outside of football recruiting. And, you know, definitely saw some things that as I kind of advanced in my career, moved into much bigger cities and certainly, you know, changed change sort of, uh, you know, higher, higher grade schooling and all that that other people just don't see. And I feel like there's an empathy that comes from that, that uh, I really I really otherwise don't encounter in a lot of folks um, that kind of end up in the same place.
0: I think empathy is so key for so many aspects of an entrepreneurial journey. Um, product development, you need empathy for the customer. Messaging, you definitely need empathy uh, for the end customer. So you talk about how growing up there is what helped develop an empathy muscle that you can now flex as you've kind of progressed uh what i'm curious to learn so fun a little bit of backstory for everyone um there was a point where you actually uh you founded a different type of restaurant concept called square roots kitchen and i remember when you and i first talked this was a couple years ago you were already with new age meats and i was like that's crazy i literally lived one block away from the square roots kitchen and that was your that was your company um now Taking that empathy piece in mind, the concept of that restaurant was actually, let's let's remove front-facing human interaction. Let's have customers come in, order off of a screen, and then they're just kind of like going to open a drawer essentially when the food is ready and it'll be there for them. So very like automated restaurant technology. How do you feel empathy can or, or does it not need to play a role as processes become automated?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it does. I mean, certainly from a customer experience standpoint, which is what we're talking about here. You do need to always put yourself in that customer's shoes and understand what do they want and how do you satisfy those needs. But I think in a, in a business like that, it was also quite labor intensive. It was just we could use a little bit less of that. That being said, I found it extremely important to pay above market rates um, and be sure to uh, you know incentivize those workers that this is a good place to work. There is advancements for you, assuming the company grows. Um, and certainly, I was already entertaining ideas for long-term equity for some of those employees, but uh, you know, obviously, d- didn't end up continuing, so that never became an option. Uh, but very, I think, taking care of your employees in any business is vital.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know that that company lasted several years. Um, you had a handful of locations. Um, you did raise money for that, and then ultimately, I think mm-hmm. you know, it, it didn't play out the way you had initially hoped. I would like to know, though, in, in ultimately shutting down Square Roots Kitchen, what do you feel you learned about yourself in just that the journey of that company? Uh,
1: I mean, super, super great question. Uh, you get pretty introspective shutting down a business for sure. Um, what, what really stuck with me was uh, you know, the people that worked for me were extremely important to me. And it was that was probably the saddest part was they had a career and I knew I, I would bounce back, but I didn't necessarily know, um, you know, how all of them would fare. Uh, fortunately, I was able to place quite a few of them with other roles. Um, but, you know, that was definitely a, a, a period of a, a lot of a lot of deep looks inside for sure.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting is I'm hearing even even in that, the empathy piece came out because you were immediately looking out for anyone, you know, everyone who was working for you and working with you, you immediately were looking out for their well-being.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they were there every day, uh, working, you know, 40 hours a week, if not more often. And uh, we wouldn't have gotten gotten nearly as far without them.
0: So then you've been with New Age Meats now for almost two and a half years or so. How did that? How did this opportunity come about? Um, You know, the the founder Brian has been running. He started the company. How did you know him, and what was that conversation like to join the company?
1: Yeah, you know, closing SRK Square Roots Kitchen. um, I really knew that. I saw that end consumer demand for alternative proteins every single day. Um, It was a new person coming in and asking us, "What are we serving in that in that variety? Can I can I substitute out some meat?" So, with that knowledge of the you know the restaurant universe and supply chains and how to get get products into that market, uh, I was extremely desirous to join a company in that space. Uh, obviously, at the time, even you know that was the end of twenty nineteen. There were already established players in in uh, Impossible and Beyond and and others. And I sort of knew my my place in the ecosystem is being an early business hire, and you know wasn't really interested in starting from scratch at that point. Uh, so. I did a pretty large survey of the industry and, and talked to a lot of companies, um, but what really actually sold me was the founder. Um, Brian Brian Spears uh, founded the company in 2018, and what really appealed to me with him is that he had a great vision, he could see where it was going, and but on top of that, he was an engineer and not a scientist. So When I talked about the things that we'll, we need to execute on to get us to those next stages of investment and then eventually to market, and then eventually making that that giant impact that we're trying to make, he got it from day one and still, you know, obviously still does. And I, I I do think there's there's some challenges with some of the other companies that you do need to find that way to really make product and make it and make it at scale. And um that's a that's a hard thing to do for a lot of people.
0: Can you share a little bit more about the the vision? You know, you talk about, you know, Brian had a vision and that's what you were sold on. Can you share a little bit more about what that vision was and, and how did you feel even like hearing that?
1: I mean, it's definitely he's an inspiring guy. There's no way around it. Uh, so, you know, was definitely feeling energized, and and you know, still am really. Uh, I think I think the thing that appeals to me most, most about that vision then, and certainly it's evolved quite a bit, um, is just you know, understanding the diversity of things you can do if you get the science right. It's not just about one one product or one animal animal type or anything like that. If you do it right over time, you can really alter the way the food landscape is, is consumed and, and, you know, really make a huge dent on some of our, our, our problems of resource allocation and climate change. And that's what really appealed
0: to me. Right. So let's let's kind of unpack this a little bit more as we get into the featured topic for this conversation, which is being able to raise money and land investors when you don't yet have revenue. Um, generally speaking, so, so you take that, what you just said there. And you apply it to New Age Meets' his capital raise journey. Again, first raising about 5 million in a seed round and then another 20 million in a series eight round. Um, you know, one of the things whenever we work with with startups on their uh, on their fundraising pitch at Startup Highland is we talk about the importance of vision, particularly with investors. I want to know from your perspective, how much do you see vision playing a role when talking with investors, particularly when you balance out the idea of big picture vision versus the, the granular details of the product?
1: You know, the venture capitalists, they, they are concerned about the short term, but they're also generally very long-term investors. So you definitely have to sell that long-term vision uh, about how are we, we going to be the next, you know, whatever number, billion, $10 billion company. And you need to be talking that really from day one, but it gets more crystallized as you move forward um so you know a, as you evolve your pitch from here's an idea and i need some money to just get this slightly off the ground to the next stage to you know here's our entire plan and all, all the things we're going to do that that vision will alter as well and you need to keep kind of uh, honing in as you get as you get more focused through through your uh life cycle
0: so that said um you know if we break this down this conversation down by investing rounds and let's start with the seed round mm-hmm. Is it wise then for a founder to or I, let me phrase the frame that a different way. does a founder need to know what their vision is, or is it more important that they can explain what the product is and be able to say and there's there's a bigger picture vision that we're working on?
1: Um, and so we're talking about really seed stage at this point, right? Yeah, are we yeah, okay. Just want to, want to clarify there. Uh, I mean, you need both, but it's, it's obviously these things evolve, right? So, you know, whether you're making electric cars or cultivated meat, you have to sort of have all that market analysis of here's the things we can make, here's what that market looks like, here's what those consumers look like. That's an addressable market. We can get X percent of it and really kind of be selling those business ideas. Um, but, you know, what you're looking for really at Seed is a quality proof of concept to show we can do this to some degree, but I don't have everything figured out. That's why the seed stage capital is here. I think in all this though, um, you know, each round investors are looking for a de-risking and that's what we were trying to sell to them. It's, we're not, we, we know what we're doing. We have, we have all this today. Here's what we can do in the future. And here's our plan to get there. And, you know, say that kind of whole, whole story with confidence uh, as you grow.
0: And that, so that actually creates two follow up questions for, for on my end. The first one is you, you mentioned the the idea of de risking the investment there, which I think it, I think it's probably like the number one thing, right? You have to be able to position this in mm-hmm. a way that says how to like everything as an investor. Everything you do is risky. This is in the bottom five of risky things you could do, or, or the top five of least risky right. things you could do. So when you're just at that essentially idea. Um, you definitely don't have revenue yet. Maybe there's some, some kind of traction, but it's not revenue. Mm -hmm. What does it take to sell the idea and kind of be like, promise me this is going to work.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to show your capabilities as best you can. Um, so that's saying things like here's our amazing team that we've assembled and they're all on board for these particular roles. Uh, Maybe you don't have that team in place, but you know what you can say is we have these people targeted and we know we're going to have to hire, you know, CXO, whatever that role is. Um, So, you know, as much as you can really show the plan and and in that phase, really make it seem like all we have to do is add your check and we're done here. That's the way you sell the de-risking part.
0: Mm. All you need to do is add your check and we're done here. Okay, so then... I think that's probably gonna answer this next question, but I wanna hear your, your specific take on it, which is how important is conveying, and it's a little bit of a repeat of what I've asked before, but I just wanna to continue to harp on this and hear your perspective. Mm-hmm. Conveying market opportunity and the landscape that's out there and balancing that against here's how the product works from step A to step to step Z. Uh,
1: I, you know, it, it, varies by stage, certainly. Um, but the more yeah, you can show, let's,
0: let's say seed stage for now. Okay.
1: Right? Got it. Yeah. So you're probably going to be able to show one product and it's, you know, that's your proof of concept at that stage. Uh, and ideally that's going to be a product that'll speak, speak to, you know, audiences and show a scalability. So, um, you know, I think in, in our, in our world, for instance, like we thought and Brian thought, and I wholeheartedly agree, that going with a broad distribution animal is a better way to approach the market in a pork than something that's extremely niche, like, um, you know, a specialty animal or a fish that's, you know, very hard to, very expensive or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, part of that is is, is matching those things and investors do you notice that. So, you know, if your market opportunity is relatively small and it's a great product, it's, it's, it can be challenging to sell that. Um, but I think what you also want to show is this is the product today here's a bunch of other products that we can make later in that same vein. So, you know, if you're making an electric car and you're like, here's my SUV now, but we can make motorcycles and, uh, you know, sedans and um, you know, all this other stuff as we expand our brand, that's definitely appealing to someone who's definitely taking that long-term view and not investing in just that, that first
0: SUV. So then specifically in your, in your case in the seed round with new age meats, um at that point you know the proof of concept product was alternative pork based product right like a pork sauce mm-hmm. um are you saying then just to confirm you're saying that even though the the base product was was pork alternative pork you're still positioning new age meats as a alternative or sustainable meat company as opposed to a alternative or sustainable pork company yeah
1: uh, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, we, we, our entire mantra is we make meat without slaughter. Um, how, how you get there. I think if, as technologies change, we want to make the best products at the best prices that scale. Um, so, you know, right now we have a certain focus, but that's always open to evolution if we, if we can find better technology.
0: So that's, and that's, that's really important. I want everyone listening to maybe even like rewind and listen to that part back because, if you are raising your first round of capital, I think it's what we're hearing here is that it's important to be able to position yourself as bigger than just the go-to-market product that you're creating. Because I think you'll agree, Brian. Or Brian, excuse me, you'll agree, Darren, sorry. Darren. <laughs> I got my, my founders confused. Uh, I think you'll agree, Darren, that um, what they're buying into is, it is your vision. They're not buying into your MVP. They're buying into the way you you say you're going to be changing the world, right?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And you know, I think the other side of that
1: that um, can't be can't be underplayed is it's a, it's a very complicated business, very you know, cross functional, a lot of different uh, ver- verticals and, and specialties merging in on that. So you you have to be able to speak to speak to all those things across the board to show that you have that ability to be successful down the line down the line.
0: So that said, and, and still thinking about the seed round here, how do you, uh, what are some like levers you pull to be able to speak to success potential then without having revenue to speak to? And I, and I get, we could talk about here's where the industry can, here's my big picture vision in a kind of like mm-hmm. qualitative sense, but like, are you mm-hmm. even trying to talk any kind of numbers at that point or anything that's more like tactical, tactical or tangible?
1: I mean, it's certainly, it certainly depends on what you're, uh, what you're able to do at that time. So at, with just an MVP, maybe you can't really get a major brand to sign up to serve your products, but could potentially get interest from, say, a strategic investor that wants to have a chip on the table. And that alone, you know, there's some different ways to show attraction. So interest from someone who can take you much further once you've actually become established is, is its own sort of credibility as an example. Hmm.
0: Is there any risk of almost like potentially name dropping and then they go and talk to that person? And then I guess, you know, that, that can be its own dance, right? Like how, like how do you know when it's right to to use someone's name or potential logo to say like this could happen versus that Um, backfiring on you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I think, uh, uh, Theranos would have some things to say about that um, <laughs> in 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 using some some logos poorly. So I would certainly say you should make sure that uh, someone someone can call those people, whether it's through you or not. And this is a reputation business. So I, I certainly and part of our company values even integrity above all. It's uh it's extremely important to be honest about what what you're actually doing.
0: I wanna advance this discussion into the Series A stage now. Before I do that, I wanna just take a step back for our listeners and ask a question. How many of you hate Google Analytics? I bet quite a few of you are probably raising your hands right now. I know I am on my side, because understanding where and why I lose site visitors before they convert is hard. So with GA, there's always some integration issue, or I gotta sort through a mountain of data just to figure out what's causing leads to drop off. It's not fun. That's why I was excited to learn of a better way to measure website analytics, and that's Orebi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website, here's the, here's the best part, without using code. So Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. And that means finally, you can understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more, which means no more blind spots. Again, all that stuff without having to know any sort of code. You can just launch it on your site with a couple clicks. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash today. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O slash today. We've got them linked in the show notes as well. And use the coupon code HYPEMAN for 20% off any plan. That's all one word, HYPEMAN. Use that code for 20% off any plan. And get your free trial going at oribi.io slash today. And today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast, we are with Darren Alemley, the COO of New Age Meats, talking about their journey of landing investors and raising capital without having any revenue. And to, the, to date, they've raised $25 million in total across two separate rounds. So let's talk about that second round, the $20 million Series A. I know I was pumped when I got that email saying and, that, and saw the TechCrunch article that you raised $20 million. Um As you advanced into that Series A coming out of the seed round, I want to know, at least from like a getting connected to investors perspective, are you are you at that point meeting every investor through introductions from the existing investment team from the seed round? Or are you still actively reaching out or trying to get introductions through other parties to investors?
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, I do want to correct one one thing. We've we have raised uh, actually thirty two million to date. It was three million in a seed round, four million in a seed extension that we did over twenty twenty, and then twenty five million to the Series A. But just wanted to uh, make sure that was on the record. Yeah,
0: my mistake. Um, Sorry, thirty thirty two million over, which is which is even better. <laughs> um. So, uh,
1: look, you're meeting investors every way you can. Uh, I think there's certainly. The evolution of investors is also something that I think is really important as you move through these stages. At this, talking to smaller venture capitals, um, angel investors, there's uh, a lot of sort of mission capital out there for these types of things. Um, And those are great signals. But as you move to bigger and bigger, bigger check sizes, the swimming pool can write those checks changes basically each round. You um, can leverage your seed, whatever you can do to get those intros of what you see as target companies is important. And the other thing is that VCs have very different uh, uh, criteria for what they look for in investments. When, we're talk- when we were talking to investors there, we qualified pretty instantly. Do you invest in pre revenue companies? And a lot of them just say no. And some of that shifting, certainly, but that's something that you can definitely be efficient on in your time. Um, to just be out there and get introduced to as many investors as possible. Because that's really what what it is. It's an odds game. Um, you, you know, you're going to talk to hundreds of investors and get, you know, 10 yeses, if not, you know, hun- several hundred investors get that, that same 10. So you, it's really about pounding pavement, using as much, um, as much uh, pounding di- digital payment, at least, using as much of your network as you can to get those introductions to start uh, having the conversations that eventually lead to investment.
0: So in this round, and the series A, what are one or two specific ways the pitch evolves at this point, as opposed to how you would pitch it at the seed round?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's that clarity of the vision uh, is, is getting a lot more focused. And you're going to have to be a lot more specific about your plans. It's mm. here's, here's your money and use of funds. It's not a casual, well, some of that's going to payroll, you know, a little on rent. It's very detailed projections, A um, very involved, uh, especially if you're a deep tech company like ours that is you know, some deep tech and some CPG and everything in between. Um, you need to have a, a pretty extensive data room that shows all the things you're doing across the board, uh, whereas that data room may or may not be nearly as extensive at, at, at Series C.
0: Perhaps this goes back to making sure you're in front of the right investors in the first place, but... Uh, I would say at least most software companies at Series A round are like they've got revenue to their name and mm-hmm. maybe even you know a couple million dollars in annual revenue at that point. Um, you were still in R and D mode, but but was the understanding up front that you were only meeting with investors who even like who who know that from the beginning that hey this is going to be a long build to get there.
1: Yeah, certainly something that we qualified. Um, but I you know I think also at once you're getting there you should have some potential customers that are lined up for when you're there. Um, So, I mean, you know, I think a great salient example in the market right now is uh, Rivian in a public market. They have pre-sold, you know, some, I think 20,000 cars, don't quote me on exact number, to Amazon. Uh, That's certainly much further down the pike, but I'm sure that as they were raising rounds, they had an indication of interest from Amazon several rounds before that, that helped them bridge, bridge to that space.
0: So essentially, you cannot just even if there's no revenue yet, you've got to be able to show progress in other ways, whether it's exactly of intent yeah. or completion of like a of a of a delivery model, things like that. Nature, model. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly,
1: and that'll vary a lot by business. Um, you know, f- for us, it's hey, who's a potential food customer, and whatever sort of capacity that that actually you know actually worked out for us, and align that traction and however. However, you can, and you know, as, as contractual as you can get at your current stage, which is probably going to be limited um, at that at that point. But uh, you know, you want the demonstration of that interest for sure.
0: What's the balance between because there are some investors? You could probably make the argument that many investors um, want to also like give advice along the way on how you should do things, right? What's the balance between like being yeah. committed to your way of doing things versus being open and flexible to, it, to the way they say, oh, you should go this distribution <laughs> path or I want you to use these people, that kind of stuff?
1: I, I love this question because that is the thing you have in every one of these conversations. Um, you know, and if you ask 10 VC's, you're going to get 15 opinions. <laughs> so you're certainly from all over the place. I think it's extremely important to take that in but you're gonna get conflicting feedback. And so it's, it's your job as a leader and an entrepreneur to filter that feedback in a way that applies to your business um, and be polite about whatever those notes are. And certainly that, that is challenging at times, but that's also just part of being good at investor relations.
0: Sure, so yeah, it's essentially playing the relationship game at the same time. Like that's a great suggestion, here's where we're focused or that's a great suggestion, right. we'll take that right. into exactly. as we enact this stress, the stuff like that, yeah.
1: Totally. And it's investor relations is a, I mean, it's in the, it's in the name, but it's a relationship business. You need to you develop those connections and, and get them to, to understand you and to believe in you. And that's, that is not necessarily, a, that's not going to come out in just the first conversation.
0: How about then um, answering questions from investors at the Series A, a stage, stage? What kinds of questions are you getting at that point versus what you might get at the seed stage?
1: Uh, it's going to be pretty detailed. The diligence can be was extensive for every every company that, you know, there's certain uh, there's a gating function that kind of happens with it. So, there's first pitch, there's set, you know, depending on the investment committee and then they're they're trying to write a memo uh and they're going to look through and may have follow-up questions. So, when they do have follow-up questions, they are just, they are going to be detailed. They're and you're going to need to spend some time and budget that time to be able to get back to them and prepare your team as well that, hey, I don't know what questions are coming. Um, You know, for our team, especially, it's like, this could be on the biological side, it could be on food production, it could be on food safety, it could be on uh, your marketing plan, all that stuff has to work together. And when you're in that raise mode, the team definitely needs to be very, very uh, up, up to speed on I'm, I'm, I'm going to be coming to you with questions and I don't know what they're going to be about and we're going to need to turn them around pretty quick.
0: In the live meeting, whether it's a first, second, first meeting or a second meeting, if you don't have the answer offhand, if you can't, you know, if either you haven't thought of it yet or if you can't, you know, essentially freestyle it, freestyle a response, what is the proper way to say, I'll need to get back to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, it really depends
1: on, on what they're asking. If they're asking something that should be paramount, um, that one's a little harder. Uh, if it's something that's, that's definitely a, you know, deep, a deeper, deeper dive. Uh, I think it's the, the just general move is, uh, don't have that information in front of me right now. I, we can definitely get it. I've made a note and I'll follow up with you here shortly.
0: And that's like, there's an understanding then that like, that's okay. And they're not like, wow, this person's not prepared.
1: Uh, generally, yeah, generally. Yeah. And again, it just depends, you know, if you're asking, um, you know, if you're asking sort of basics of like, you know, what's the product or something like that. And they have no idea. That's just a lack of preparation. But if they're asking you, you know, some, some very deep scientific question in our case, uh, there's some stuff that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a biologist by trade, so I'm, I'm going to need to get back to you on that. And that's fine.
0: What's your take on, I don't know if the right phrase is like, forcing their hand, but essentially creating almost like pressure to get in on a deal as opposed to like waiting around for, um, and and like being beholden Uh, to their timeline.
1: You know, you're, you're trying to get everyone to move at the same pace so that you can get them all there and have a competitive round at the end, but that doesn't always work like that. And I, I do again, think, you know, there's an integrity factor. Uh, I have heard of folks trying to play that game and, and kind of falling on their face and they, and they sort of lose those investors potentially um, because they weren't able to actually back that up, which then kind of goes to, are they really serious? Do they know what they're doing? All that sort of stuff. Um, So it's certainly a strategy. I I do think though, that it, there is a, there is a gambit and a risk reward payoff to, to how, how real uh, uh, your actual other offers are. Mm.
0: So it is, it is a hedge your bets wisely sort of a scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that there was, you know, it is a numbers game, right? You, you, you got to reach out to a lot of people to get a certain amount of meetings, to get an even smaller number of, of yeses. Are you using any software to keep track of that? Or are you just opening up a Google sheet? How, how are you keeping track of your own investor outreach conversations and potential funding timelines?
1: I, that's another thing that I do think evolves. So spreadsheets are fine at, uh, earlier on, but as you get into you know multiple deal flows, uh, different kinds of complications, or investor sizes, and you, you want to quantify things a little bit more, I do think moving to a CRM is useful. It is it is a sales function, so you know using a HubSpot or a Salesforce or something like that can definitely be advantageous. But those are also not cheap, so it's something that a seed stage uh, company probably doesn't have access to. But as you move further along, it, it's it's a worthwhile
0: investment. And actually, I would say if anyone's looking for a software recommendation uh, and they need one that would cost less, uh, I recommend using PipeDrive because the annual cost of it's not that much. And even at the seed stage, you know, if you if you if you can throw out I don't know four hundred dollars for the year, which is what I think it costs for one seat, something to that mm-hmm. effect. Um, it's better to just get yourself off of spreadsheets as soon as possible and have like automated mm-hmm. reminders set up. And even, even though I personally have not raised money for this business, I can't tell you the number of times I think back to like the first two years of running my company and being like, why was I using spreadsheets for that long? <laughs> when I could have yeah. probably like short circuited progress by like mm-hmm. six to eight months. If I just, if I just got on top of some of these processes better.
1: Yeah, entirely. And, and that's the thing is it, it gets out of control quickly. So the sooner you can spend the upfront time on organization, and this, I mean, honestly, this is true of so many things in business. It, it is something where organization matters. Putting in the time upfront pays off a lot in the back end.
0: I got one more question here before we head to our wrap up. One of the questions I frequently get is how much, you know, a founder will say, how much money should I ask for? And obviously it's gonna vary based on business and round and things like that. I'll tell you this, my, my response is always, well, I'm not an expert in the financial side of things, but <laughs> raise more than you think you'll need because you need to build in some, I screwed up money in there. Like not everything's gonna go perfectly, mm-hmm. um, but what's your opinion and, and how should that number be determined uh, for what the actual amount should be? Because I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who are like, they're afraid to say, you know, they'll say to themselves, you know, we want to raise, I don't know, 1.5 million. And I'll be like, well, you should ask for two. And they're like, ooh, can we do that? Right. So can you talk to mm-hmm. like, the psychology of figuring all that stuff yeah. out?
1: Um, you know, there's a lot of schools of thoughts on this. Uh, I, I think that there's there's certainly a reasonable number for any given business, where if you don't come in at that or more, people in the know are going to say, there's no way they can do that for that. So you, you do have to have at least some educated guess at like what a minimum is. Um, and so certainly some businesses are better off not trying to raise larger rounds. I, I I don't think I'm, I'm certainly not one of those. And I think if (laughs) if you're listening to this, thinking that you want to make one of these big capital intensive companies, you're probably going to need a lot more money than you think. Um, but I think the school of thought is essentially there's two ways to go about it. It's go for a lower number and hope to hope to get higher with, you know, some sort of competition or go for, you know, some higher number and just see how much you can get. Um, I, I would say, I, I think the former tends to have, if you think of like the optionality around it, it tends to have some more, uh, upside with less downside risk. Um, but I've heard, I've heard of companies kind of succeeding at, at both.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, as you mentioned in your case, it was, we're going to go for a lot of money, but also I think in this, you have a capital intensive business model and it takes a lot of money to like, just do some of these core functions to get the product to market. So. Um, yeah and i European think we we always right. presented
1: it as like we'd like we'd like a certain amount but more is more always gets you more <laughs> so uh you know more money just helps us to move faster and more efficiently and and add the breadth that we need in such a complicated cross functional business
0: and actually so let me, let me ask one more question before we hit our wrap up um have you ever been in a situation where the money that an investment group says they'll give is contingent on something like, yes, we'll fund this, but you need to hire this specific person who we know and trust, things like that.
1: I I haven't personally, but I have heard of some other friends who have. Uh, I, I mean, as with anything, if, if there's strings attached, you just gotta understand how much, what's it attached to. So is that, are you getting in bed with someone that you think can be, you know, accretive to, to what your overall business is looking like? Um, or is it something where you know they they have a lot a lot going on that maybe you don't want to get committed to them and that's just a case by case basis uh, depending on what's on the table.
0: Let's begin our wrap up. First off, Darren, where can our listeners find you and where can they learn more about New Age Meats?
1: Um, yeah, so certainly you can. Uh, my my main channel is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn uh, slash DL Emily is where you can find me. Um, New Age Meats is. Uh, On multiple handles, so I believe we are on New Age Meets Co on um, Instagram, and then uh, uh, New Age Meets on uh, Twitter and Facebook as well.
0: Who is one person who you want to shout out?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, uh, big shout out to our our, uh, newest VP of Marketing, started last year, Kadi Karaki. She's doing a bang up job, and um, you know, help helping uh, me be better at um, telling our story as well.
0: Great. What are and I apologize, there's
1: New Age Meets Co on Facebook.
0: <laughs> New Age Meets Co. We'll now each give our top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners based on our discussion today. I'll go first and I'll toss it over to you. The topic today was landing investors with no revenue. Um, I think one of my big, my big takeaways take- from this, and it came towards the, the end of our conversation, but as it pertains to figuring out how much money you should ask for, don't fall victim to asking for too little, because you might create the impression on the other side of investors saying, well, there's no way you can accomplish what you say you're going to accomplish with only that much money. So understand your audience's perspective as you think of, your, of how much you should ask for. Darren, top one or two lessons or takeaways for the listeners. Uh,
1: it, it, investor capital raising is a, is a relationship business. So the more people you can know early in the cycle, the better off that's going to pay off for you in the end. Um, Always be selling and always be looking for those introductions.
0: My final question, which is how we end every episode of this show. Fill in the blank, Darren. Entrepreneurship is blank.
1: Entrepreneurship is complicated and hard, but incredibly rewarding.
0: Say a little bit more on that.
1: Um, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot going on and i think uh anyone who says they know everything that they're doing is is really just not not quite being um honest with themselves so uh i'm i, I like anyone in, in startups am not a finished product and there's always more to learn and uh you know you just have to keep your mind open and, and understand that there's there is more that you can do, do. you're going to need other people involved especially as you scale but Uh, the reward is, you know, you, you can really change people's lives, whether, you know, you are in a mission driven startup like this, or, um, you know, you're really just building a team and, and paying, you know, uh, paying a a lot more people than you ever, ever thought you would, uh, and, you know, supporting their, their lives, which is, is rewarding into itself.
0: He is Darren Alemley, COO of New Age Meets. Darren, thank you so much for joining today on Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Thanks Raj. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and leave a rating and review in your podcast app or do us one better. Hit the share button, send this episode to one friend who you think needs to hear it. While you're on your way out, don't forget to follow Startup Hype Man on Instagram and LinkedIn at Startup Hype Man. And remember, you can also connect with today's guest as well. They left their contact info. They love hearing if what they shared helped you in any way startuphypeman.com is the place to catch the full 17 season archive and learn all about how to pitch your startup. We'll see you next week, but until then, stay hyped. Raj Nation out.